alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to the master. He shall go out alone. But as the slave, plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, and I will not go out as a then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his heel with it all, and he shall serve him perfectly. This morning, by the help of the Lord, I want to preach on this subject tonight, the servant of God. Servant of agape love. Thank you, O Master of the universe. We are your humble servants, and we pray, Lord, right now, that you open up our ears and hearts and receive your word. Anoint these lips of clay to preach and speak your word completely, and let your perfect love go forth. In the name of the Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I get into this message, this passage of scripture, I want to first define a word that some of you have no idea of what it is. Agape. Some have never heard that word before and you have no clue what it means, but what it simply means is love. The act of love of God for his people and vice versa. It's the highest kind of love. It's godly love. It's divine love. So a servant of agape is a servant who actively loves his or her God. And one of those great stories we find in our opening text, let's uncover this a little bit more, the storylines. I want to cover it more as a storyline instead of just the law that was revealed in Exodus. I've taught on this opening scripture before. The rest of my message will be different, but I taught a while ago, about a year or more ago, message called the mark of a servant the story goes like this there was a man he was on his third slave duty he had been already sold by two other masters and now he has found his third and this fine man went and bought him and purchased him for whatever amount he wanted this man was a good man a righteous man he wasn't a, a mean servant or a wicked servant or a master, I should say, was an evil master or wicked master. He was a good master, took care of his servants and loved them. What was unique about this particular master for this servant, this slave, 
when he went to the master's home and he was introduced to all the other people that he was going to be working with, and they said, it's time for supper, it's time to eat. He says, master, say a servant. We're so used to being put away into another room with other servants. It was a little bit unique in this situation because there was a room with this huge table, and on this huge table was all the servants sitting and the master himself. He sat on the same table with the with the master, and this was so unique to him, so different. It, it definitely spoke to his heart and his mind as he saw other servants serve the food, and then once they were done serving, they sat down as well at this table with the master. The master, he was very kind, as I mentioned. He was very kind to him. He took care of him. They had good rooms, good board, good living conditions. Didn't change that they still served, they still sweat, they still worked very hard for the master. That didn't change. It wasn't different. What was different was just how the master cared and took care of his servants. While he was walking through the place, the, his master's home, he noticed this one door had all these holes on it. And he asked the question, what are these holes? And one of the servants said, that's the hole that when somebody chooses after their time of serving the master, they have the choice to either walk away and go on according to the law. And they can either stay or leave. And if they stay, the master takes the all and he pokes it through the ear. And that's the doorpost that he doesn't like. So he's seen this doorpost numerous times through his years. And while he stayed there, he married a wife and he had children. And seven years had passed since he started serving this master of his. And then came the day that he had the opportunity to decide if he either go free or he could serve his master forever. The decision didn't seem very hard for him besides the fact that there was pain involved in the process. There was a a place he had to go and he had to choose a marking that marked him as a servant of this master. It was a mark that was a permanent mark that would never leave. And this servant, he chose to serve with this master forever because this master loved him so much, gave him a family and gave him a life. He saw freedom wasn't any much better than what he had at home, had at this place serving this master. And so he took the permanent mark See, pain didn't stop him from serving. The pain made him to decide that I want to be a servant for life for this man. Because he loves me and he cares for me. Yes, he asks me to do hard things and he challenges me to stretch myself. But I know his intentions are pure and his intentions are righteous. And so I will serve this man the rest of my life. Jesus was our greatest example of a servant. As we find in John chapter 13, verses 2 through 5, I'll read from the New King James Version. It says, in supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel which he was girding with. This story 
was only days away from Jesus being crucified. It's not too long before. But Jesus wanted to demonstrate what it looked like to be a servant. He demonstrated the lowest place of being a servant. See, sometimes we read that and we see that it said that his garments was put away. Some people say he was naked. Well, he wasn't naked in the sense of no clothing. Instead, we understand what the scripture means when he says he put aside his garments. It was a form of nakedness, but it wasn't you want me to understand today, if you like art, the way you look at it today is we have different clothes. We have our sit around the house and be comfy clothes. We have our pajama clothes. We have our work clothes. We have our church clothes. We have our casual clothes. We have different clothes. It demonstrates different settings we go to. Very much was the same back then. Their evening clothes, their pajamas per se, was considered something nobody ever saw someone in their pajamas. So it was almost like they were naked. And they would consider that that way because of the type of clothing it was in the evening attire. See, when we put on our evening wear, we only wear it when we are in our home. We are comfortable. We are comfortable. And if you come to my home and if I'm in my pajamas, which I think nobody's ever really seen in my pajamas, I might be in comfortable clothing. There's times I do that, but I don't put on the plaid Yen pants that I have that I like to wear because they're so comfortable. But it's not has anything to do with people. It's more or less, again, the setting. It's me putting my, when I'm in that, that position, I'm more vulnerable. I'm more open. I'm more relaxed. And when Jesus laid aside his garments, he was opening himself to the disciples. He was opening himself to his, his, his uh, students that he was mentoring and discipling and he was demonstrating to them that I am getting comfortable with you I am getting casual and open and bare and naked in that aspect with you and it wasn't that was enough he decided to take the towel of a servant and he went down at their feet at their knees and he tried to wash their feet he stooped down to wash the feet of others this is why Peter was so appalled at first, because Jesus is his master. He's one that was quoted him many times, master. He said, master, where else are we going to go? Master this, master that. He looked at Jesus as a high stature. I shouldn't be, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. But when Jesus said this, and this is the way Peter is, he's either all or nothing. That's how Peter always operated. And once Jesus said, if you do not let me do this, Peter, you get none of me. And he said, fine, don't just wash my feet, but you can wash my head as well. I want the whole package if that's what it's coming down to. And there was a process. That was a thing within Peter. Peter all of a sudden must have got some kind of insight to the servanthood spirit that Jesus was demonstrating. We need to stop and ask God for a fresh revelation of his example as a servant. Listen, the king of glory stripped himself of his garments and humbled himself as a servant to wash the feet of his disciples. And he does that today. This is what drove the early church. And when they witnessed before the cross, this servant of agape love stepped down to the lowest position. It inspired them to be servants of agape love. When the early church served 
They served in a love that was a God-based-style love. It was a divine love. They weren't just serving themselves or serving just their friends. They were serving their God most high. And it was a love that nothing could take away. It caused them to drive them. It pushed them. It made them do things that they never thought they could do. That's why Paul says, as far, goes as far as to call himself an ambassador in bonds, a prisoner in chains before God. But you've got to understand it was a choice he made, like that servant I spoke of in Exodus 6. It was a choice that he decided, or 21, that he decided to do. We have to, be, we have to choose God will not make us prisoners. He will not make us ambassadors in bonds. He will not make us servants. It's our choice to be that. And we have to have, when we make that choice, it has to be driven by agape love. It's got to be driven by a love for the master that I want to serve him in such a way that's deeper than any other service that I can ever, ever do. I served in the military eight years. If anybody's ever been in the military, you'd understand brotherly love in the military. They were your friends. They were your comrades. I would go out into war and battle, and I would die for any one of them. It wasn't because I knew them any better than I knew my childhood friends. It was because we had gone through some stuff together. We had served together. It was a different service. If I saw them today, we'd have a different chemistry, a different relationship. But the church is the same way. I'm going to get to that in another week, but I'm just going to touch on this. When it comes to the church, when we are serving the master, it also brings that agape love, and it brings that servanthood that we want to serve with others. We want to serve together alongside. We want to serve with our master. But it's based on an agape love, a divine love. When somebody decides, I want to serve my master, I want to love my master. That is what made Paul so unique. His drive was so that he could know Christ. And in the power of his resurrection, and in the fellowship of his sufferings, the part not many of us like to quote. I like to quote the resurrection, the power, yes, I want all that. But the sufferings, I'm not so sure whole different message. But that's what it means to serve Christ. We're going to serve him in power. We're going to serve him in suffering. It's a part of knowing him. And if that's what it takes for me to know him more, then I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to go through the fire in order to find the fourth one in the fire. I'm willing to go through that if I need to because I want my master. I want to be next to him and close to him wherever he goes. He was a Paul was a servant of agape love. That was his pursuit of his master. But in order to be a servant of agape love who loves his master, we, we, we too must lay aside our garments. We got to lay aside our garments of sin. We have sin in our lives. We have to be bare and open with God and let him know about our sin. We got to let him know what our problems are, our situations. We got to lay it out before him. If we want God to really minister to our lives, want to be able to serve him with our whole heart, we've got to be open and naked before him, per se, in our hearts. We've got to put aside our garments. We've got to put aside our garments of fear. We've got to put aside our garments of our past. We've got to put aside our garments of addictions and distractions and anything that would take us away from our master. We've got to put it aside and say, God, I'm open and bare before you. great book and we, we get through some of the stuff right here, but the point is, you know, I'm still alive, is that he 
to open up ourselves and to put aside our garments and say, Lord, I want to serve you with my whole heart. I don't want anything to block me from serving you. You don't have a past any longer when you're in God's presence. You only have a future, and that means we must always expose our past to the master so that he can help us close the door and live in our future. I'll say that again. You don't have a past any longer when it comes to being in God, only a future. And that means we must always expose our past to the master so that he can help us close the doors of the past and serve him in the future. We must learn how to lay aside those garments. We must step into the throne room naked of our identity. Listen. Your degrees don't matter. Your money doesn't matter. Your career doesn't matter. Your family tree doesn't matter. And the list goes on. When we step into the throne room, we put aside everything. I don't go into the throne room as Pastor Jamie. I don't go into the throne room with a degree at, at Hamlin University. I go into the throne room as a son, as a child of my God, as a servant of the master. And I lay aside everything when I go in there because that's where I want to be. I, listen, Our identity doesn't matter when it comes to get into the throne room. It's when we lay aside our garments that God can truly work on our hearts and help us fall in love with him and desire to serve him with a whole heart. By laying aside our garments and being exposed to him, it will help us accept the next aspect of being a servant of agape love. And we find these, this, these aspects in two scriptures. The first aspect is God places the desire in your heart and my heart to do the good things of God. Philippians 2 and 13, from the New American Standard, I'm reading, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I kind of like the, new, the, the King James a little bit better, too. He says, Labor you both to, to will and to do the good pleasure. He puts it in the scripture changed my life years ago. Like many, when I began this pursuit of God, especially after receiving the Holy Ghost, I was in love with Jesus. I was willing to do anything he asked. All of a sudden, I had desires to tell everybody about him when I got the Holy Ghost and what he did for me. But then after some time, I began to have more and more moments where I was reaching people as much as before, or I wasn't reaching them as much as before, and I went through trials, and I went through what everyone else goes through in life. And all of a sudden, that passion and fire starts going away. Through time, that love transpires. But when God woke me up in my heart with this scripture, and the next one I'll read in a minute, God impressed a question on my heart. Who gives you the desire to do good works? And I wasn't sure until he showed me in that scripture. It's God that gives you that desire. It's God that puts that inside of you. Anything that you want to do that's good in your life, it's God that gives you that desire. Then as I complained to God about the lack of success, though, 
of trying to do the good and not seeing what I consider success, he then impressed this scripture to me. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. In the King James, New King James, I'm reading. Let me put that up there. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten, eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. That challenged me. Unprofitable servants. I'm not saying we shouldn't bear fruit. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about either. What he's talking about is he's talking about the accolades. He's talking about the honor. He's talking about the success per se. We can't be driven in that way so much because we are unprofitable servants. You're going to tell me a missionary that sits overseas that doesn't see as many people get the Holy Ghost and all that. You're telling me they're not being, they're not being servants. They're unprofitable. They keep doing what their duty is. They keep serving God and preaching the gospel and teaching other people that God reminded me that I'm an unprofitable servant. This was a question of my true love for him. And it's a question for all of us. Are we truly servants of agape love? Are we in pursuit of the master? Are we in pursuit of our, or are we in pursuit of our own desires and wants? Servants are not guaranteed fame. Servants are not guaranteed fame after doing something, nor they're guaranteed a promotion after so many years or a pat on the back or any kind of acknowledgement. But if we want to be servants of agape love who loves our master, then all these things don't matter. As long as I get to serve Jesus, that is all that matters to me. You look at the story of John the Baptist.
I get rejected or criticized even by my own around me it won't stop me I'm a servant of agape love who loves his master for some of us it's a struggle to be a servant of agape love and the answer to that is what I'm going to close this message with the reason we struggle with being servants of agape love is because we struggle to really be servants who love their master and accept his love greatest tragedies of any Christian, greatest struggles is to push him aside. Many of us say, oh, I love God, I love God. I remember blaming for his love in my life, but they push him aside. Question, may I love you? Some of us have lost friends and died and we don't trust him. We go through trials. by that. Throughout my walk with God, I have found myself questioning his love for me based on my performance record. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. Maybe I haven't read enough Bible. Maybe I haven't reached someone for Jesus in a while or ever. Maybe I'm not involved with something in ministry. Maybe I missed my ministry opportunity. Maybe I'm not doing enough and the list goes on and on. Egyptians, when they, or the Israelites, when they were delivered from Egypt, they were under rule of taskmasters. And all of a sudden they're brought into this different land. And in that process, they're told this, this story. They're told this law that if you're a slave, you're a servant, this is what happens. You gotta understand that that, that is foreign to them. Meaning after seven years they get to Servants of a master of love. And we have freedom. Paul and Silas might have stood in a jail, chained up. They weren't prisoners of that jail, not in their mind. Because he says, I was a prisoner of God. He was captivated by God, captivated by his love. How could a God call me? Denied him and killed his own people. Can he use someone like 
and sometimes wonder over some things Paul struggled with. You understand, we don't read all of it. We don't hear everything. You can't tell me Paul never struggled with something. He had to. So what could the thorns been? Could the thorns been the, those threats? Could the thorns, the thorns could have been anything. It could have been a physical ailment. It could have been a heart, an emotional, something in his life. Trying to get in my notes. I feel like going there. I don't know what Paul's thing was, but all I know when Paul asked, God said, my grace is sufficient. And a couple years ago, grace became a new word to me. I'm not serving a taskmaster. I'm not serving society. I'm not serving what I want others to be proud of. I'm serving my God in heaven, my master who's always proud of me, even when I fail. He is still there with loving arms around me, waiting to lift me up and carry me through. Because it's in him at the end of the day, when there was nobody else around, there was nothing else to help me. How many times Paul, the Bible says he was in shipwreck. He was alone in the sea for a day and a half. You ever tread water for 30 minutes? I don't think he tread water for a day and a half, but he was in the sea on something. He was shipwrecked. Paul understood what loneliness meant. David understood what loneliness meant. But these men found out how to dig out their walk. They dug out their walk and they dug out their master. You see, Jesus, see, he's, he's not a taskmaster not a slave driver. He is the master who robed himself in our likeness in order to reveal his likeness. He demonstrated his love not so we can live in our torment. He demonstrated his love so we can have life and have it more abundantly. Our time with him shouldn't be spent in reminding him of our past or begging him for help in the present and doubting what he has for us in the future. Come on, I know I'm not the only one that's ever been there. Come on, we, I, there's times I've spent time reminding God of my past or begging Him for something in my present. And doubting what He has for me in my future. But He's had to remind me, son, that's not what I am. Instead, spend your time reminding yourself of what He delivered you from in your past. Remind yourself and ask Him what He can do, what He wants to do with you in your present, and what He and trust Him with your future.
I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was the lamb. Sharon was a coastal place south of Java with fertile ground and lush vegetation. Some believe that there was a certain flower that stood out in the valley and became known as the rose of Sharon. If we know our scripture, we know the Song of Solomon and the dialogue between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Like all the Old Testament scriptures, there's a typology to us today. Jesus is also known as the rose of Sharon. His love is so rich and so fertile. He provides the vegetation that I need in my wilderness. He provides the very resources in my dry places because he's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He stands out among all the lilies all the, all the other plants in the valley. It's beauty in the springtime of a lily, especially after the snow melts is a beautiful sight. And the flower begins to grow and again stands out in such splendor. And that's what the life of Sharon's life is going to be. It stands out. There's nothing compared to Sharon's life. It's a beautiful thing. It's something to behold in all its splendor. How can God call me who's an unprofitable servant, who has nothing to offer this world, has nothing to even offer heaven to my very self. We sometimes appear as pathetic and weak and empty, standing on the front porch. Jesus says, I want to use you. I want to use you, Sharon. And if we want to serve God, we've got to be in love with the master. We've got to be in love with who he is. Servant Jesus provides the growth I need to sustain my life. I can't tell you how many times by serving God it's helped me grow. It's helped me grow in times of rejection. It's helped me grow in times of, of hard conflict. It's helped me grow in times of joy and peace. Serving God in every aspect. God never promised to be perfect. But he always promised to Serving Jesus, the master of the universe, is like nothing else. His banner of love rains down on me. It's his banner of love that sustains me. Knowing that as long as I serve him and do his good pleasure, I will have his banner of love over me. If you want to be a servant of agape love who loves his master, we must learn how to draw near the rose of Sharon. Be willing to live in the valley of trials as a lily and allow his banner of love to be enough to sustain us every day. Not our successes, not our pats on the back or pressures we put on ourselves, but instead, know in faith that his banner of love hangs over me and it hangs over you and it's enough. When we allow the love of God to be enough. On this Valentine's it wasn't my plan to preach on Sharon. I wanted to preach on Sharon because of God's wicked gift to Sharon Lane. 